I go? <laughs> Hi, I'm Jen. I'm a compulsive reader and a bulimic, and actually a lot more than that. Um, I'm a super well-rounded compulsive overeater, I like to say. <laughs> Since the time I was very small, I have done it all. Um, I have, you know, I, I can't think of something I actually haven't done, and it would be super long to introduce myself that way, so I don't. Um, I stick with the, the, the main things, compulsive overeating and bulimia, though I did a lot of undereating. I did a lot of overexercising. I did a lot of dieting, like a really a lot, a lot of dieting. Um, and I just messed with food, and I obsessed about my body for the first 30 years of my life. And I remember that starting at a very young age, like little girl worried about, you know, whether my legs were touching and little girl could not get enough to eat. Um, and that's just the way my life began and the way I spent, you know, the first three decades of it. I grew up in a very loving alcoholic home and food was my solution. Um, food was my solution and it kept me safe and it kept me calm and it was actually not the worst tool I could have picked up. Um, I could have done a lot more dangerous things. As it turned out, my disease got scary and really dangerous, but at the time, I don't really blame myself for wanting to coat the nerves and find that solution um, in the midst of lots of loving, dysfunctional disease. So that's sort of how it began, and I was entirely uh, unaware of it, but I could not get enough food. I just couldn't get enough food. And I had a very, you know, as a kid, I had a really fast metabolism and I was very small and I got lots of attention for that. And I also, it didn't show up on my body. So I ate and I ate and I ate and I ate and it all, almost became like a thing, like I could eat a lot. And um, yeah, people joked I had a tapeworm and people did all sorts of things that I really, really, try very hard not to do with my own children, which is ever comment on their bodies in any way, shape, or form, or ever comment on what they're eating or what they're not eating. Um, because um, that was stuff that took me a really long time to let go of and still comes up when I'm around my family. Um, so I ebbed and flowed. I decided to really focus on school. Um, there was a lot going on in my house, and I wanted to, like, show that I was enough and I was okay. And I thought that the best way to do that was to get really good grades and to devote myself to, you know, achievement. And, you know, the other, the big things in my family were it only matters what it looks like on the outside. And as long as it looks good, you are okay. So if you are thin and you have the right stuff, you are okay. And I chased that dream for a really long time. Like if I, if I look a certain way, I will be okay. If I get a little bit skinnier, if I don't do, if I can fit into this, if I look this way, you know, I will be okay. Um, and, you know, don't talk about it was another big, uh, another big thing. But, you know, I did grow up with love. I grew up with a lot of love. It was not intended to, you know, uh, be what it was. It just, there was a lot of confusing messages growing up in my house. And there was a lot of things said that shouldn't have been said and things that happened that shouldn't have happened. Um, so, yeah, I dedicated, you know, myself to perfection 
um, academically, physically, you know, and it really, cre it really created a phenomenal ex uh, obsession for me. Um, it really hit like fast gear in college when it all of a sudden that, you know, small girl metabolism wasn't quite what it used to be and things started really showing up um, on my body, at least in my mind. You know, one thing I've learned in this program is I do not have an accurate sense of what I am supposed to look like and I have lost the privilege of being able to make assessments of whether my body is okay, whether it needs to be a different. Um, so I'm, you know, not a good, a good judge of that. But I um, picked up bulimia there, I picked up over-exercise there. Um, I lived in a house where there was all sorts of food. And I remember one time coming down into the kitchen and there was these huge bins of food. It was amazing. And there were no pretzels left and I started crying. And people were like, there's going to be more pretzels. And I was like, <laughs> you know, that was just what it was like for me. Like, I needed those pretzels right now. It wasn't a later type of thing. And, um, yeah, so there were periods moving on where I would fill, like, the hole with something else. I would fall in love and I would decide, like, okay, I'm better, I'm, I can eat what I, I can restrict and not even think about it. And I didn't think I was restricting at that time. I thought I was doing a good job. Um, but I would, there were things that would temporary, temporarily fill that hole and I would think, okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'll be okay. But then I would sit there in my head and be like, I'm going to eat again. Like, I'm going to eat again. And how will I stop? And for me, what it looked like is I would eat perfectly controlled. And, and now I realize restricted. Like, I had very certain things that was okay. And the minute I stepped outside of that, I was off to the races. And I, was, I could not stop. I would get to a place, I'd be like, okay, this is not okay. I'm going to go on a diet. Um, I, I went on every diet that anybody I ever knew went on. And I was really good at them for a few weeks. And I would lose an unhealthy amount of weight. And I would be like, everything's awesome. I'm awesome. Everything's awesome. And then I would eat. And I would have one bite, and it would just send me the other way. And it was just like, it was so exhausting. I really don't know how I did other things in my life. I spent so much time focused on what I was eating, what I wasn't eating, when I was going to eat next, what my body was going to look like, what event I was going to that my body had to look a certain way for. And um, I was so in my head, I couldn't really be with you. I couldn't hear you. I couldn't listen to you. I couldn't actually be present with you because I was worried about my food and my body. And I would flip out if there was ever a sense that like I might have to eat late, I might have to miss a meal. It was just not something I could do. Um, so that was how, you know, how it was for me and I at a point I started out in my career I went to graduate school I had a lot of like outside successes I was pursuing this like perfect life and I got to this perfect life the perfect life on paper you know I got the job I was supposed to have I was with this um, I was in a super non-healthy relationship that looked really good on paper <laughs> and I had the stuff I was supposed to have and I was miserable. I was alone. I was like the saddest, ho most hopeless like young person. And 
what happened for me is I got this really big job and it was a big deal and people were taking me out for dinners to celebrate and I would be participating in the first part of those dinners and then I would eat one bite too much and I would be like planning my exit, hitting the Vons, hitting the Ralphs, like putting on a show for the cashier so they didn't think I was buying all this stuff for myself. And um, I would go home and I would binge and I would purge and that was a really lonely, I was living a total lie. I was walking into my office pretending I was normal, thinking all these people think I'm normal and they have no idea the hell that I'm living in. And it was, um, it was horrible. It was really horrible. and. Everything looked good on the outside, still. Um, so what happened? I ended up going on a yoga retreat that was led by a sober person. And I, as a result of growing up in a super alcoholic home, had a very active addict brother at the time. Um, I had like binged through uh, an intervention of his. I, you know, I, my disease was raging, but I was way more focused on his. And um, I, I tackled the leader of the, the retreat and I was like, hey, how'd you get sober? Because he mentioned he was sober. And he was like, you need to go to Al-Anon. <laughs> and I was like, um, no, tell me how. Like, I'm going to do this. I was a very, like, goal-oriented project manager type person. And um, I went to Al-Anon and the woman who took me to Al-Anon took me out to eat afterward and said, hey, I think there might be another program that you belong in. <laughs> I was like, this... It was a lot. Um, and it was the first time in my life someone had ever called me out on it. And I think, I don't know if people knew. I mean, my, my size range, I had like, I, I was up and down and all over the place. If someone didn't notice, there was something wrong with them. But nobody ever said anything to me. It was my secret. I never told a soul. I never told a soul. I'd have someone come and tell me about their eating disorder, and I'd be like, oh, so rough. I could not tell my secret could not tell my secret and so I um, yeah I listened to her for some reason I will never understand why I had no interest in coming to these rooms and I came and I heard a woman who shared and I related and my body walked up to her after the meeting and said will you sponsor me I don't, I still don't know how that really happened for me because I'm not, that's just, I don't know, it just happened. Um, and she was, she was hardcore and she, I called her every day and we started into the steps and it was the first time in my life I felt like, oh my gosh, I might be okay. Like, I might be okay. I wasn't ever convinced I would be not obsessed with my body and not obsessed with food. I did not believe that, but I thought, I think I might be okay. And the first few months I was in the rooms, I, um, I restrict, I, I think I used the program. So like, oh, three meals a day, great. Like little, tiny, teeny, organized meals. This is awesome. And then I heard someone share about using the program to restrict. And the thing I love about this program is nobody said to me, hey, you're restricting, you gotta, you know, clean this up. I heard someone share their experience and I related and recognized it. And at that point, I started letting food in, in a way I had never, you know, before. And I had three big, messy, <laughs> long, and you know, meals, but they were meals. They were three meals 
there was nothing in between and there was no party afterward and that was a miracle it was a super painful time for me because i gained weight i got to the the biggest body i been had been in i quit getting on the scale and that's something i've maintained throughout my program um, with limited exceptions during pregnancy which were still not a good idea um, but I got uncomfortable I got really uncomfortable but I also w I got to the point where I wasn't willing to keep moving forward like I wasn't willing I got more willing to be well and to be spiritually whole than I than I was to be in the body I thought you know I should be in so I kept doing it I worked the steps during that period in my most unattractive version of myself I met my husband and you know <laughs> he found me not a worthless unacceptable you know person it, shockingly I was so I was I, I couldn't even stand to be with myself during that time like physically and he didn't have that experience you know so I fell in love with him in my most unacceptable version of myself and that started to shift I you know at some point um, I got to my ninth step and I the food fell away I don't know what happened I will never understand what happened but the food fell away and um, I just wasn't I don't I wish I could describe it better for people to like well how and I'm like I don't know I don't know I prayed I turned my body and my food over to God every morning and every night I prayed before every meal and I'd say God help me to make healthy choices for my body not my idea of healthy for a skinny body healthy choices for my body and I let foods in I had never let in I started eating hamburgers all the time I started you know I have not had a salad really long term in my recovery I hate salad and I ate enough salads in the first 30 years of my life to last a lifetime and they were not like good salads they weren't like filled with yummy stuff they were super deprived and so I have it's so funny because I spent so much of my life eating that way and I started to let foods in and then they fell away and you know everybody has a different journey with food and with abstinence and that's something I really love about these rooms you know I because of the rules that I lived in because of the in restriction I have to be very careful with hard and fast rules I cannot add things to my abstinence so no binging no purging um, and I generally eat three meals in a day the snacks just don't work for me that well it's not a rule I can't have a snack but usually it's more it's more in my time in my brain than is worth it so I, I like to have three good solid meals and I don't have any rules about things that I can't eat um, I will tell you that one day at a time for the most part I do not eat a lot of grain I do not do not eat a lot of sugar and I do not eat a lot of dairy because they're not good for my body today um, I can't have those be rules because if I have a rule I go crazy and I had some health stuff happen this year where there was like a lot of you know I was talking about um, or exposed to this autoimmune type of 
paleo plan and I talked to my sponsor about that and she's like you got to be really careful with those things I can't do cleanses I can't do fast I can't do anything like that those are not for me those are not for me I don't know if they work for normal people maybe they do I don't think they work for anyone personally they do not work for me so I can try something one day at a time like for today I'm not gonna have sugar for today, I'm not going to have this, but I can't say for the rest of my life because then the walls start to close in and um, I get crazy. So that's what my, my abstinence looks like today. Um, I am a hardcore member of this program because it's the only way I know to get well. And it is inconvenient for me because I have a big life. Thanks to these rooms, I have uh, a job that I love with people that are decent and kind. I work a lot. I have two little kids. I have the luxury of two programs. And I have a husband who's in recovery. So I feel like a hamster on a wheel a lot of the time. And I know that being in the, having the serenity I have today requires saying yes. It requires showing up. You know, I pray, I work the steps, I'm sponsored, I sponsor others, I do the deal, and I do, I don't cut corners. You know, I was, I went through two pregnancies, I've been through health stuff, I keep coming to the rooms, and it saved my life. I made so many excuses in my life. I don't make excuses. You know, I had, um, there are times where it's been challenging, and you know, I gotta be honest. First thing in the morning on a Saturday, do I want to be at a meeting? <laughs> no, I have to be at a meeting. Like, I need to be at a meeting. It's just the way it works. It's not convenient. It's just the only way I know to have, you know, peace in my, in my, in my heart. And that's something I have today, 99% of the time. What happens for me today, you know, for some reason, and I, everybody has a different experience, so please don't, like, but I, the food and the obsession with my body, for the most part, when it lifted, it, it went away. It was shocking. I was the one, I, I heard you guys share in the beginning, and I was, and I, just for dates, I came in 2006, like 10 years of abstinence, and I did not think I'd have the r relief. I just didn't. I thought, okay, maybe I will quit throwing up and maybe I will quit doing some of these things. I will always be obsessed with my body and I will always be obsessed with food. And that isn't the way it is today. You know, I'm in my life. I hear you. I want to be a good mom and a good wife and a good employee way more than I want to be perfect in my body. And that's a miracle. Um, today what happens for me when things get crazy is in my head. I start thinking, you know what? I think you're gaining some weight. I think your pants are a little tight. I think you're actually kind of fat. You know, that's the way that'll happen. It almost always happens around periods of time where my parents are coming to town <laughs> and where there's something else going on and I'm like ready for a comment oh you look great or oh there's no comment that must mean I don't look great or you know um, it's like going back to the scene of the crime my old tools start to start to come up and um, you know that's just that's just the way it is today 
thank God, like I have 10 years of abstinence from throwing up, from, you know, not giving myself enough food and from berating and obsessing over my body. Like that is a miracle beyond measure. I spent 30 years of my life. Like I don't remember a time. I don't remember being small to the point where I wasn't thinking about what I looked like, you know, in a, in a bathing suit. I mean, that's so crazy to be a little girl thinking about that. I, I have a little girl. She's five. And I just pray that she, you know, she doesn't have that experience. But I, I, we all know this is not, we don't have control over that. So today I have a lot of gratitude and I have um, a lot of peace that I didn't have before. I will also say it's a daily journey in these rooms. And, um, you know, what do they say? You don't get clean off yesterday's shower. I, without connection to fellows, sponsor, being in meetings, I get crazy. And it happens, and I've had enough experiences to know. You know, I had I, getting pregnant and having kids was that was that was a little bit um, hard for me, because what happened in my body was I gained all the weight in the beginning, and um, I didn't know until the very end that I wasn't going to gain that much in the end. But in the beginning, I had this doctor, and she's like, "So, you're gaining a little bit of weight." I think I want you to start a food journal because I, I think you might not be aware of what you're eating. Yeah. I was aware of what I was eating. So I left her and um, ended up with like midwives at UCLA who didn't comment on my weight or body once. It was amazing. And, but I had a hard time. And as soon as she said that, I was like, oh my God, am I not? What, what am I, what do I need to cut out? Like that whole diet brain. That's why, like, we just don't comment. We don't comment. Um, so, but that was, that was hard. And God totally took me through it. Um, you guys took me through it. And um, I was blessed to be able to be present, you know, for those experiences, being pregnant, having kids, being present with my kids today. Um, I couldn't have done any of those things without, you know, recovery. I would not be married and I would not have my two littles and I wouldn't, you know, be the kind of mom that I work very hard to be today. Um, I don't have secrets today. Um, a secret can't stay in my brain for, it just takes me as long as I, you know, takes me to get to a fellow and I will dump it on a voicemail today. I don't even care. Um, so from a girl who kept secrets her whole life to, that's a miracle. I love these rooms. I'm grateful to all of you. Um, and yeah, I think that's it. Okay. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with one of any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Yep. So it's a question is, 
more around my littles, which is the word I use too. Um, and whether, you know, what we talk about, what we don't, what I feed them, it's a really good question. And it's, a, it's a, definitely a big part of recovery. We don't use the words skinny and fat in my house. Um, we will al- I will allow people to drop, like, F-bombs w- way before I will allow someone to drop a fat or a skinny. Um, we don't comment on bodies. That is, like, the rule. I don't comment on my body. My husband doesn't. I mean, I will. If you come into my house and tell me you need to lose weight, you will be outside. I don't, you know, we talk about it when it comes up at school. Um... And we don't comment about them eating too much, not enough, whatever. We just don't talk about it. I have had to set boundaries around my, you know, I grew up in a very, this person's skinny, this person's fat house. And so my mom and she made, you know, we were all kind of labeled all the time. So she has two dogs and she's sort of recreated this dynamic with us. It's really wild. Um, and she has, like, this boy dog who doesn't eat ever. And she, like, cooks some steak and all these things to try to get him to eat. And then she has this girl who she's always like, you need to be on a diet. You need to lose weight. She's so fat. And I was like, Mom, you cannot talk that way about your dog in my house. Like, and she's like, she actually heard me. She's like, oh, I didn't even think about it. I was like, we don't, we don't talk about that stuff. Um, in terms of food, I have to, you know, we do the best we can. To, I have a, one of my little kids has a lot of food allergies, so he's a very restricted diet, um, which is which is tough to navigate. And I talk to him a lot about that and what that's like. Um, and we we provide healthy food for them, but we we don't comment at all on the amount um, or n- the lack thereof. So. Um, thanks for your share. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing that when you did your ninth step, you had some amends to make to yourself. And uh, maybe wrong, I don't know. But can you, can you talk a little bit about your ninth step specifically, how you, you sort of made amends or living amends to yourself for being so hard on yourself? So the question is about my ninth step and amends in particular to myself. Um, it's, a, it's a tough question. This is a tough one for me. So my living amends to myself is an ongoing journey. And what I will tell you is the voice in my head has gotten so much nicer. So, so, so much nicer. Um, My still, my first impulse is not a nice voice. And I now, you know, think thanks to you guys, thanks to being able to talk to people, you know, learning how to like give love to someone really struggling showed me how to give that to myself. Um, and it's an ongoing journey and I think it, I think it always will be. Um, but the thing I have to work on and I have to work on it in a, on a daily basis is a way I talk to myself I mean I used to make a mistake and you would think that I like took someone's life the way I berated myself I don't do that today I first of all I own it which is so awesome like what a great skill that I didn't I mean nobody apologized in my house so when I make a mistake I walk in I'm like hey I screwed something up 
it's so cool. People are always like, oh, it's, it's okay. You know, it's just not the way people normally do stuff, at least in my, in my profession, in my world. Um, but it's a journey for me on that one. That's a living amends um, to give myself a break. Another good question. Uh, do I have a daily spiritual practice? I do. This is something that has ebbed and flowed over the years. When I first came in, it was incredible. It was like an hour-long thing in the morning, and I had um, I prayed, I wrote, I read my daily readers. I had this amazing time. Um, and today, ever since I had kids, it's been very challenging to carve out that time. And it looks and feels different depending on what's going on and how crazy things are. So on a good day, I will get up, I will go have time by myself to sit, to read, to meditate. Um, a lot of days, and I shared this recently, is you know, I will, I will meditate in bed cuddling with my daughter. And being with my kids in that like quiet, calm way can be very meditative for me. And there are times where um, I'll sit there and I'll just say the third step prayer really slowly, like really, really, really slowly, over and over again. Um, and that is sometimes a really beautiful way to start my day. Um, I also have to take pauses during the day, like a five minutes here and there, just to regroup. I have a fast-paced kind of crazy job, and I need those moments to just dial back and then I you know pray um, I pray morning and night and my spiritual path has really changed um, and evolved and gotten more you know had me explore other things as a result so it's a daily part of my life it's not perfect I don't you know I don't sit in a garden and, and have the kind of like thing I'd like but it's it's it fills me up for today Thank you very much. You sure was very articulate. And I really like the way you talk about the difference between abstinence and restricting and how you define your abstinence. So my question is, when you sponsor people, um, how do you work with helping them define their abstinence? And maybe have an abstinence that's different from yours, that restricts some things, or do you prefer to work with people who don't do that? It's mm -hmm. a good question. So the question is, given my um, abstinence, how, do, how does it work when I sponsor people and they would maybe want to have a different abstinence? So I think abstinence is a very personal, personal thing based on, you know, work with God. And I usually create a lot of room for, for that you know, discussion. I think there are, there are plenty of people who it works very well to say, I don't do this and I don't do that and I don't mess with it. And that's, I, that's awesome. It doesn't, doesn't work for me, but it very well, it works for a lot of other people. So I don't have a rule about that. Um, and, you know, I think in the beginning when I first came in, I really needed to hear my exact same story. And now I, you know, I can hear what I need to hear from from anyone. So I think it's more about the people I being I sponsor being comfortable. You know that they're they're with with, with how I work it and that it being different from them. So. Yeah. 
so the question is, uh, I mentioned I'd struggled with over-exercising, and how do I find balance with that now? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> Children gave me balance. <laughs> um, so I, when I first came in, you know, was that was that was a thing for me. And one thing that helped me was, was yoga, because it was like this more gentle, like non- I couldn't be as abusive to myself with that. And I also got a lot of calm. And I, so one of the things anxiety helped me where, with exercise helped me with was anxiety. And it was like this compulsion, like I will not be able to breathe unless I exercise. And so yoga actually helped me with that a lot. And, you know, my life got big and I started to realize like, I'm actually going to survive on this planet if I don't exercise, you know? And today, on a good week, I will get on an amazing week. I'll have two, two exercises, two yoga classes. That's an amazing week. I can go for a long time, and I'm okay. So it was just something I think I had to have that experience. I had in my mind this math problem, and it was like, if you do this, and if you do this, then it'll be this. And I, I don't do exercise or food math anymore. I don't even, I don't do those types of math. Um, and I realized like, okay, I'm, I'm actually okay. And then once I realized I didn't have to, and for whatever reason, it didn't have the impact on my body I thought it was having, which is kind of entertaining. Like all my attempts at controlling my body were way less effective than letting God be in charge. And I just didn't know that. I didn't know that. I spent 30 years trying to create the perfect thing. And then once I threw it all away, God had a way better plan. So it just just sort of happened that way. Thank you for your magnificent share. Um, I'm going to piggyback on what you just said because I've got some body things that I want to happen. So could you please, if you can, elaborate on... God having a better plan for you and how that worked out so that you weren't the one being like, I can't wait to get in the bikini or whatever. So the question is a- around body stuff and how um, how God having a better plan for, for me and how, how that worked out. So it's a good question. The way that worked out, I part of me working the steps in this program, I had to totally, fully, permanently surrender my body to God and that was this process where I was like okay this is not my body this is not mine this is on loan my body is not my business I believe that today my body is not my business my business is to work my program to work the steps to work with others to be of service to tell the truth to pray you know to to eat abstinently God's business is my body and once I fully and totally and completely surrendered that, things just started to change. And I will tell you, there were periods, I mean, there were years and years and years in my abstinence where I prayed every single night, um, God, this is your body. Like, you take care of it. You handle it. You show me how to eat. Like, I really just had to. And once I full, and now today, it's just, it's not, um, not that it doesn't come up periodically, because, because it does, but it's not a regular thing for me. And I don't know. It's like I lost weight just giving that to God, like just taking the, 
the pressure of like what my body was supposed to look like. And today, you know, we all, it's, it's not about my body. Like the craziest, I, my serenity is not related to my body. It's related to my spiritual connection with God. And the only times food or weight or anything has ever popped up in abstinence is when I'm trying to control that. So when I try to control my food, when I think, oh, you know what? Think I'm taking up. Think I'll cut something back. That's when, that's when things get, you know. So the only, as long as I'm with God and as long as I'm working the rest of my program, God seems to just take care of it, you know, and I don't get to be the judge of it. Like, I don't get to be the judge of it because I don't think I've, like, I am i don't have an accurate ability to assess myself. Um, so, yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, it sounds like you understood your husband loved you before you got lovable. And is there anything other than working the whole program, which we could spend, you know, years here, but is there anything in particular that you believe happened that made you feel more lovable? That's a tough question and a good one. Um, so the question is, I, it sounds like I felt loved by my husband before I felt lovable, which is true. And is there something, you know, in particular that happened? Um, you know, it's so interesting the way you said it. I experienced love from him and it was very tough for me to let it in um, very tough for me to let it in in fact I didn't I you know there there's still still days where I struggle to let in that um, that love and um, it didn't happen right away like he definitely loved me for a good period before I felt lovable um, but what happened is I started to love others and I started to um, see God and perfection in other people. Um, and when I started sponsoring, I think I really got to see that. And I got to hear these like sweet little you know, voices doing the things I did to myself. And um, I felt so much love and compassion. And I think that's when I started being able to you know, feel a little bit of that, a little bit of that for myself. Um, thanks for your share. Working, living in a 12-step home with a husband who's sober, how do you stay out of each other's programs? Like, you know, call your sponsor. No, you call your sponsor. <laughs> it's just like that. <laughs> so the question is, living in a 12-step home with a husband who's sober, how do we stay out of each other's business? And you know, I think, I don't know how, like, it is such a godsend that we both have a sponsor because I can't even tell you how many discussions have not even happened because they've ended before I got to have the discussion or before he got to have the discussion. And we acknowledge our part and we make amends. And the hardest thing about it is juggling all the meetings, all the commitments. We both are all in, and that can be a lot. Um, but we know it saves each other's lives, so he, you know, we support each other in it completely. Um, but there, there have definitely been why don't you call your sponsor moments, and there will be more. And the super annoying part about that is that usually there's some 
there's some justification to that request on either side. Um, so yeah. Can you, uh, can you talk about your God and how it's evolved since you got abstinent? Yes. I um, did not connect with the, the sort of any type of religion or spirituality I was exposed to. I did not have any type of connection at all when I came in. And the experience for me of just coming in and feeling this incredible relief, like a lot of it I felt in the rooms. I was like, I don't know what is happening here, but this is bigger than the people in this room. This is something I haven't experienced before. And working the steps and writing about it and acting as if and praying. Like I had so many incredible things where I'd be having a really hard time with someone and my sponsor would be like, pray for them every single day, morning and night, for them to have everything you want. I was like, what? And I did that, and the, the relationship would change. My feelings would change. And I started to, to realize, like, just slowly, slowly, slowly. And I think now I have, my God's gotten bigger and bigger and bigger, and my God is huge, huge today, huge. Um, and I, I, I don't fully understand how that's happened either, except for taking steps forward, acting as if, um, listening, sharing, you know, and, and working the steps. It's really been, uh, it's really been um, a journey, and it's a journey I think that I'll continue for forever. But I, I think part of it is because I was, be, and also once the, compul- like once the obsession lifted, I felt like this is real. <laughs> I don't care what anyone says. Like, I could not have relieved this obsession of, by myself. And so I think part of it was just the practical experience of that. Um, it's real. It was, it's real in my life. I controlled myself for a long, long time and got zero results. I surrendered to God, and I have a life beyond, my, beyond any plans I could have made today. That's God. That's not me. How long did it take uh, for you to get in the shape that you became comfortable with? How long did it take for me to get in the shape that I became comfortable with? What happened was I quit um, worrying about my shape. And I, you know, I can't even tell you where, like I've, like I said, a scale is not a part of my life. Um, It doesn't, like I, I look for validation from the scale that it can't give and it never gives the right number, no matter what. Um, so I had, to, I had to just quit caring. That was my, my experience. Um, and I can't really like look at myself and be like, okay, you're here or you're not, because then I get crazy. I just have to take the actions, take the actions, and leave the results to God. Like if I'm a little bit bigger, that's God's, that's God's plate, not my plate. Thank you.